So why don't you grab your Bible right now, turn with me to Matthew chapter one. We only got through the genealogy <laughs> uh, there in Matthew. Um, but I say only, the, the genealogy there is kind of incredible. It's an incredible genealogy. I heard a story of a proud family, the Smith family. Um, we're really proud of their um, you know, family tradition and ancestry. And they would always go around town boasting, you know, yeah, you know, we have senators in our family, Wall Street wizards, and they were always going around. Well, the local paper decided to do a story on this family's heritage because they had some of these famous people. Um, and so they had a, a specialist kind of look into their, their lineage and all that and just to confirm. Um, but when the, the writer of the story, the local paper there came and told the family, well, we did some research and we found everything's true what you guys said, but you know, you also kind of have this, this situation. And they said, well, what, what are you talking about? Well, did you know your great uncle was electrocuted in the electric chair? He was a criminal. And the family said, oh dear, we didn't know that. I was like, that's really horrible. Uh, what, you know, what do we do? The author of the paper said, no problem, I'll handle it. Uh, and so when you read this little newspaper article about this family's great heritage and lineage, when it came to the great grand uncle, um, it said, great uncle George occupied a chair of applied electronics <laughs> at an important government institution. He was attached to his position by the strongest of ties and his death came as a great shock. <laughs> that cleans it up pretty nice. <laughs> you know, what's funny is you cannot choose who your relatives are. Uh, and that's, that's funny when you think about it. None of us can choose who our relatives are, except Jesus could have. Uh, Jesus, who is God, we're gonna see even here today, he's called Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus could have cleaned up his lineage perfectly and made all these pristine stained glass Bible characters in his, in his ancestry. But we saw on Wednesday, man, his, his, his lineage was, you know, in, in many terms, you wouldn't even wanna list the genealogy because it included people that the world would say, oh, are you kidding? That's one of Jesus's relatives. Um, you know, you, you have, uh, you know, uh, the, the you know, prostitute Rahab and the one who played the prostitute Tamar. You got David who was an adulterer and Bathsheba is kind of indirectly listed there. That's kind of an embarrassing history point uh, of, of, of the lineage of Jesus. But, um, but one of the things I love about the whole story of Jesus is Jesus is all about the perfect God in the flesh, Jesus coming and visiting sinful humanity. And he knew exactly what you and I have gone through. He even had sketchy relatives, uh, just like us. But you know what's really great is Jesus was all about, and it seemed like he even delights in rescuing and rebuilding and restoring sinful lost people. And, and that's one of the things, when you look at the genealogy as we did on Wednesday, we see it very redemptive. And it's kind of cool that Jesus has that lineage. And I'm thankful for that part of that story. We also found on Wednesday that genealogy has a, a little bit of a mysterious fingerprint of God on it. And I can't really go into it again you know, today, but um, the mathematicians have been shocked by the, um, the, um, the, the, the nature mathematically of the original Greek text of this genealogy that pretty much everything, almost everything you can think of is divided in multiples of seven. Uh, let me show you just the end of the genealogy there in chapter one, if you're uh, there with me, Matthew chapter one. Um, it says this in, in, in verse, uh, verse 17. 
It says, so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations. And from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. So you have these 14 generations, but that's, the, that's, that's just like a, a signal of what actually is happening in the whole genealogy. Everything is in multiples of seven, divisible by seven, the amount of consonants used, the amount of vowels used or whatever, the amount of women and men or, or uh, kings or whatever you can, they're all in multi, multiples of seven. And we saw kind of this mysterious, you, you couldn't even do, make that up. Like, like if you and I said, let's make up a genealogy and it'll be true. Uh, real genealogy of real people, but it also has to have all these uh, things in multiples of seven. And, and so that's one of the things most people at a casual read of Matthew chapter one say, oh, it's just another genealogy, time to go to sleep. But it's got this fingerprint of God that even if you had kind of a supercomputer, I'm not sure you could calculate and figure out how to make all that work out. Uh, Dr. Ivan Panin spent his whole life studying Matthew chapter one uh, and finding all the multiples of seven. It's really kind of something. But, um, but all that to say, uh, you know, that genealogy is really important. And what, what we uh, saw how it links Jesus as rightful heir to the throne uh, and uh, of the king of the Jews and what have you. So we looked at that on Wednesday. Um, now the next section here is the final section of chapter one. I'd like to make that our text this morning. Um, and it's often used at Christmas. So uh, are you guys ready for a little Christmas in July? Uh, that's kind of where we are here. Um, but I'd like to focus, you know, I've taught through this section uh, during Christmas time because it's a, a, a neat description and what happened. But there's stuff that we tend to overlook. Uh, and one of those things is um, this, uh, this part of the story of Joseph, who would be Jesus's, what we might call his stepfather. Uh, we call him stepfather uh, for obvious reasons. Let's read this little section. It's Matthew chapter one. Let's go from verses 18 all the way through uh, to verse 25. It says in verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus." for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, behold, a virgin shall be with child they shall, uh, and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted God with us. Then Joseph being raised from sleep did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife and he knew her not until she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. 
as we kind of focus on the person of Joseph in the story, Mary oftentimes gets all the press and, and understandably in some ways, but if you come from one of those churches and traditions that sort of exonerate Mary, maybe a little too much or maybe a lot too much, uh, Mary is an amazing young girl and, and, um, and she's probably like a young teenager, if you can imagine that. Most scholars believe she was somewhere, they, they debate, but somewhere between 13 and 16 years old. Uh, she was just a teenager. Uh, an amazing girl was Mary, but, but uh, we gotta stop and also consider Joseph because I really like Joseph. By the way, one of my favorite characters in the Bible is the Old Testament Joseph. Uh, he was an amazing guy and a beautiful picture of Jesus, illustration of Jesus, uh, but that's a whole nother story. This Joseph, uh, the, the stepfather of Jesus, is kind of an incredible guy. And I'd like to just point out six things that, that I admire in this man, just from this story. There's some really cool things and maybe some uh, appropriate applications we can make to our lives as men and women who wanna be people that are more and more like Jesus. That's our goal. So um, you can jot some of these things. First thing, notice with me that Joseph was a self-controlled man. I like that he displays self-control. And I'm gonna just say it, um, uh, let's start with the idea of sexual self-control. Uh, it says right here in verse 18, um, it says in Joseph, um, you know, it says when, when uh, his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Um, now, well, let's talk about this idea of being espoused. It's something we don't have in our culture. We have, you know, uh, engagement and then marriage. Um, and that's kind of all we have. You're getting engaged and then that's kind of like a commitment to some level uh, of saying we're getting married. And then you're not really married until you get married and that's the way we do it. In Bible times, um, you know, you'd have the engagement period, um, which was uh, a loosely uh, sincere attempt at saying we're gonna be married someday. But then when you became espoused to your wife, that was another tier that we don't have. And it was a very serious, it was more locked in than engagement. It was, it was almost, in fact, you were so locked in, if you broke your espousal, you'd, you'd still have to write a bill of divorce if you were to break up an espousal part. It's like, it's almost like to say it, I, I don't mean to be crude, but um, it was really like you're technically married just without the consummation of the marriage. That's what the espousal period was. And um, they had that as a, a very important part of their culture. And part of that was stemming from, you know, the whole uh, thing where parents chose the, the spouse for their, their, their child. And sometimes they were like in kindergarten, like when they said, okay, so you're gonna be married. And you, you know, they chose that long before. I think we should go back to those days, but be that as, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just, no, just a little joke. But, um, but you, you know, it was a big deal. So, um, but I love that it says here that they were espoused um, to be married. Um, but it, then in, in verse 18, it says also, but um, uh, suddenly this whole thing happens where she becomes pregnant before they came together. Um, the word come together there, it, it says that in the English. But if you read the, the Greek word there is literally the same thing we would say they, they, had, they didn't have sexual intercourse. Like that's the word. That's what they, it doesn't even try to pull that. It, we clean it up in our English text uh, so we can read it to our children, this little Christmas story. But... But that's what it says in the original text. They, 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 they were abstaining. Now you say, well, Brett, people used to abstain before they got married. Well, that's true, isn't that something? <laughs> that's, that's what I'd like to observe here for a second. 
See, because we live in a culture that says, oh, that's impossible. Are you kidding me? People not having sex until they're married? <laughs> that's ridiculous. Like our culture has lost our brains altogether. And I wanna make a, 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 a final and heart, heartfelt plug for abstinence. The Bible actually teaches there's value in virginity and Joseph and Mary are, you know, they're espoused to be married. Um, you know, and, and like I said, you know, the espousal period, is, that's as good as done. Why wouldn't you just kind of mess around? I mean, if you're already kind of linked up and you know, try out the plumbing as they say today, uh, that's what we gotta do. Make sure we're compatible and all this stuff. Totally ridiculous. Um, you know, it's really sad because our culture acts like um, our kids are out of control and there's no way you can stop you know, children from, or kids from having sex and stuff. Um, meanwhile, the same group of people has is, is become what I would call predatorial and even um, grooming young children for uh, sexual uh, deviance and, and even, you know, what the Bible calls fornication. Did you see the article that came out of the Daily Mail uh, just, just, you know, I think it was about a week ago when it first really came out, but this um, school board director in Washington State plans to hold workshop, this is the title of the article, to teach children as young as nine about sexual anatomy for pleasure and safer sex practices at her shop called Wink Wink. It's, a, it's a basically a porn shop that she owns and she's bringing the kids to this Wink Wink shop. Jen Mason, um, uh, she has uh, courses broken down by age from children to nine to 12 years old. Among the topics, students will discuss sexual anatomy for pleasure and reproduction and safe sex practices for all kinds of sexual activities. Um, it comes one month after the same woman, uh, Mason, uh, hosted a queer youth open mic night at the store um, offering, uh, you know, uh, 18 and younger, a chance to share poetry and songs about their sexuality and what have you. And really our culture has just lost it when it comes to the idea of purity, abstinence, monogamy. It's, it's just a lost, a lost thing. And even sadly, I've noticed the church uh, doesn't really even, either they don't talk about this or they, um, they just kind of started to agree somewhere along the way with the secular world and disagree with what the Bible says. And you know, the thing is, it's, it's amazing when they, you know, the world says stuff like safe sex. What a, what a goofy idea, I'm just gonna say it. Um, let's talk about this for a second. You're like, oh Brett, come on, pull up. I brought grandma today. <laughs> well, grandma's probably sitting there saying, preach it, brother. <laughs> Cause she knows, cause grandma knows. <laughs> safe sex is a ridiculous idea. Let me tell you why. Well, you know, safe sex is, well, you don't wanna get HIV, of course, and, you, and oh, God forbid you become pregnant. Uh, what's so sad to me, pregnancy used to be something people really looked forward to, and it was something that, you know, uh, you know a man and a woman could, would, would be thoughtful about and prayerful about and excited about, but in our culture, it's become this horrible thing that, you know, uh, you gotta try to figure out what to do about it. It's really kind of a sad deal. That's because of our promiscuity. We just wanna have sex with whoever we wanna have sex with. We're gonna do it before you're married. No real commitment, but definitely the, the, the fun. But you know, uh, the, the answer the schools give your kids is, oh, wear a condom. And, and they'll you know, show the ch children how to wear, wear condoms and stuff like that. And um, they act like that's really helpful. Uh, but they could get HIV, so that's why we do that. Did you know um, HPV is also a problem? It's one of the sexually transmitted diseases. And did you know the condom really doesn't help that? 
Did you know more women die of HPV, having HPV through the things like cervical cancer and stuff like that? More women die from HPV than they do of HIV. Did you know that? This is something they won't tell you for some reason in school, but it's just, look it up. Just look up the CDC, that basically Christian organization. <laughs> I, I'm joking. Um, but even the CDC has to admit, yeah, so why aren't they talking about this? Basically skin to skin contact. Um, and it puts, you know, it's what's interesting to me, again, a culture that claims to be pro-women. Um, did you know HPV really doesn't bother men that much? I mean, men don't have complications from that as much. Uh, but the women sure do. And I'd, I'd say, where are the women's rights people here uh, talking about the health issues? And, oh, here's a condom. You've just, by giving that, that teenager a condom, you've increased their odds of getting cervical cancer for the girls. That's just the way it is. Um, and you say, well, Pastor Brett, you need to you know, wake up and smell the coffee. Kids are just gonna, they can't control themselves. Kids are just gonna have sex. Can I just make an argument how ridiculous that is? I, I, I personally believe our kids are better than the family pet. I really do. I give our kids more credit than that. We, we have great kids here at Athey Creek who say, you know what, we're gonna abstain until we're married. And guess what, you can do that. And listen, if you're one of those people that say, well, kids are just gonna do it, you can't really control yourselves. Have you thought about the longer term of that? If someone can't have self-control and abstain before marriage, what makes you think that they're gonna have self-control and contain themselves while they're in marriage? Like, you kinda of have to think about that for a second. Um, people don't just, you know, it's like there's this weird notion that when you get married, you're sprinkled with some kind of discipline dust uh, so that suddenly you'll no longer be tempted to have sex outside of marriage. Um, no, that, that character, uh, that, that, that part of a person's nature and character uh, comes early when they're younger to learn to abstain and wait and wait for that one person that God has prepared for them. And if you're a single person, I wanna just encourage you to blow off this worldly nonsense of you know, just sleep around, sleep around, just do whatever, it's like what everybody does. Um, you know, when you, before you sleep with some, someone and have sex with them, you have all the options in the world for you ahead of you. Everything's easy at that point. But as soon as you start sleeping around, your options narrow and everything gets difficult from that day forward. Our culture um, has lost it, craves and celebrates sexual immorality called fornication. Um, God invented sex, don't forget that. And it was always meant to be a beautiful thing inside the bright lines that the Bible gives us. Um, First Corinthians chapter six, verse 18 says, flee, run from fornication. The word fornication, is a biblical word uh, that the world sort of laughs about and celebrates they, that now fornication for them is something that we wanna do it. Uh, but the Bible calls fornication, well, the word is porneia in the Greek where we get our word pornography, but it means sexual immorality. Anything that's sexual outside of the marriage boundary, that's what fornication is. Every sin that a man doeth without the body, but he that committeth fornication sins against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not of your own, or you are not your own. For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. Um, and I gotta say, I, I kinda consider myself, you know, I don't consider myself an expert in a lot of things, but um, one thing I have done a lot of just by hours is marriage counseling and weddings. 
I've done over a thousand weddings. Just did a wedding yesterday afternoon before the four o'clock service. Um, and it was a beautiful, awesome wedding. Um, and I love weddings, but let me just say in my uh, observing of weddings, since I started doing weddings when I was 19 years old, um, I've, I've observed something that's very clear, clear as a bell, that is the couples that are pure and abstain before their marriage, guess what? They're the ones that do really, really well. They're the ones that not only do well in marriage in general, but they're the ones that are most sexually happy and blessed when they choose to do it God's way rather than the whole sleep around thing. And, and you know what's even more interesting? There was a study done years ago, and I, I like to bring this study up because it was, it was a shock to our culture. Um, it was way back in 1997. Um, one of the universities um, spent $5 million on a study, who's having the best sex in America? Uh, that sounds like something you know, that the, the, everybody's interested in. Well, their, their findings shocked the world and, and the Rolling Stone uh, uh, magazine did an article on this thing because it was sort of shocking. But the report said this, there was one group of uh, people that were extremely sex sexually satisfied. Who was having the best sex? As it turns out, Christian married monogamous women. And the Rolling Stone magazine said, it's the revenge of the church ladies. That's just, <laughs> That's what they said in their article. Um, and the reason uh, uh, even they had to admit it had to do with this idea of one sexual partner and faithfulness in marriage is where sex becomes the most satisfying as it turns out. Um, God doesn't restrict sexuality, by the way, to ruins everybody's fun, but um, he, he put, puts guidelines in so that it might be uh, enjoyed in the best way that God designed it. And God always designed it for, um, for one man, one woman, monogamy, uh, and in marriage. That's, that's what the Bible says. Um, so you can do what you want, you know, if, if you wanna go sleep around and all that stuff like the rest of the world, um, but here's God in heaven saying, I, I made you. I, I, de I designed your body to work in a certain way. And if you wanna be happy and healthy and do uh, have life uh, more abundantly, then do things the way I, I tell you to do them and you'll be blessed. Uh, we think we're so smart, you know, and, and, and that the creator is the one who's saying, here's how you do it and here's what you don't do. And, and you say, Brett, how did you find that in this topic? It just says they didn't sleep together. Well, I, I, you know, it goes without saying in some ways, but at the same time, when you read it in the Greek text, it says, you know, they did not have sexual intercourse. And I thought, wow, there's a rare thing today. Here's a young man who had a, a girl he's espoused to. They're as good as married. But um, even abstaining in the espousal period when you're almost there, like uh, if there was ever a time to sort of mess around, it'd be a spousal, right? Joseph was a self-controlled man. And I believe that's one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is to be self-controlled. Um, uh, so that's the first thing I love about Joseph. He's, he was a self-controlled man, number one. Number two, Joseph was also a gentle man. I liked his gentleness here. Um, because it says, look at verse 19. It says, Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. Man, can you imagine being Joseph and then finding out that your espoused wife-to-be is pregnant? Uh, what do you do? And in Bible times, there was a thing you did. And it had to do with the deadly Mosaic law. The same thing that happened, remember when they caught that woman in adultery and they threw her down in front of Jesus and this woman was caught in adultery and the law of Moses said she should be stoned to death. That's the way they handled stuff like that back in the uh, old days. 
Um, and, and here's young Mary, now pregnant. She's kind of in a dangerous situation. People don't really think about that, but you can't just like you show up pregnant in Bible times and think you're safe without you know, uh, being married. And, and so the typical rule of the land would Joseph would declare this girl, you know, and make a public thing. And, and in the Middle East, they still do this. And it's horrific what happens in the Middle East. Um, you know, they take, uh, you know, a woman. They, I've noticed they never uh, bring the man that, you know, did the deed ever into the mix in the Middle East. It's always the woman who's the adulteress or whatever, just sinful pagan humanity doing the same old thing. But Joseph, in normal situation, would have said, Mary's pregnant, I had nothing to do with it. And they would take her out and have her stoned to death. And by the way, you know, I've noticed even in the Jesus movies and stuff, they clean up the stoning thing. Like it's, you know, uh, it almost looks good when you, when you see it in those movies. But what was the truth? If you, if you study what stoning in Bible times was really like, they would take a person, drag them outside the city walls where they piled up all the manure. The, you know, where the horse and donkey and camel dung was piled and they dig a, a hole about waist deep and per, put the person in the middle of the manure and then, and then make them just be half buried there. And then they'd start throwing softball sized rocks at their head and they'd start hurling them until they're dead, plopped down in the manure. And then they would just keep piling rocks and just leave them there. That's the way you'd stone a person to death in Bible times. And, and Joseph, he, he wants nothing to do with all that. Um, I, I do believe it's because he had a love for Mary. And even though at this point, he doesn't know that it's the Holy Spirit that uh, made Mary pregnant. He still doesn't know that, at least at this part of the story. And in verse 19, he, he says, man, I don't wanna make a public show of her sin, uh, but I wanna make it private and I wanna cover. Um, by the way, that's something the Bible teaches us that love actually covers. Um, you know, it, it's interesting because um, in marriage, I've noticed there's some couples that like to keep lists of all the wrongs and expose and tell people, oh, my husband does this or my wife does that or the other. That's just a sinful uncovering of your spouse. Um, and I don't think that's part of a good marriage, by the way, if you're walking around reminding your wife or your husband or your friends of all the wrongdoing that your husband or wife is doing, that's just evil. But Joseph, not even really married, he's the only espoused to her at this point. He, he, he's gentle and he's not, a, he's not just trying to nail her for messing up or sinning. That's, that's what he thought what had happened. He thought somewhere either, you know, don't you wonder, like did Joseph wonder who the guy was? Did he wonder, was she raped? I mean, you'd have to wonder these things. It would be troubling uh, to say the least if you're Joseph. But nonetheless, Joseph uh, is thinking, how is he gonna deal with this? But he does this gently. Um, by the way, the scriptures say in 1 Peter chapter four, above all things, have fervent charity or love, is the word charity, among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Um, love covers a multitude of sins. And the loving person covers. Now, don't get me wrong. There, there is wrongness in covering up sin. I gotta say that because there's always people that don't get the delineation. Um, if you've sinned and you know, you've done something illegal and you're there covering it up so that you don't get in trouble or uh, you know, whatever, that, that's not right. Uh, there needs to be open transparency with sin and confession and, and dealing with it and stuff like that. But, but at the same time, when it comes to the idea of being a Christian, instead of walking around being a sin sniffer, are you a sin sniffer? Are you a fault finder? Are you an equity inquisitor? 
I've noticed in the church, there's those people running around, I smell sin, where is it at? Who's the sinner? And oh, they just can't wait to let people know and uncover, uncover, uncover. But that's not really a Christian behavior, by the way, as it turns out. Do you remember there in Genesis chapter nine, there's a story um, that you didn't color in Sunday school. It's the story of Noah. Oh, we colored that. Oh yeah, you colored the rainbow and the Noah's Ark and the flood and all the amazing parts of that story. But if you remember, the, the Ark lands on Mount Ararat and eventually the water goes down and they go down and they build an altar before the Lord. And it's just this great story. And that's where you ended the story. And most of you, that's, that's kind of the end of the story because that's what you colored in elementary school. But the story goes on. Noah then goes into his tent, strips down naked and gets totally sloshed and drunk. And there he is in his tent, dancing around nakedly, busting a move. <laughs> There's Noah's tent. And, 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 and Ham, uh, uh, Noah's son, comes and sees his dad naked and says, hey, Shem and Japheth, his two brothers, get over here, check out dad. <laughs> and Shem and Japheth, they do something that's a little strange. They don't look. They don't go look in the tent. But instead, they take off their cloak and make, uh, put it between their shoulders and make a big curtain. Uh, you know, they're standing there, Shem, Japheth, Ham's going, yeah, but look at dad. They make a curtain and then they walk toward the opening of the, of the, of the tent backward. They walk backward, not looking on their dad's nakedness, but covering up the door and making it so nobody can see. And that, that's one of the early stories in the Bible of this, this notion of love covers. Um, and, and, and there's kind of an interesting thing there because Shem and Japheth, do you remember? They were blessed because of that. But Ham, who exposed the sin and said, check out dad, he got cursed and he became the father of the, the land of the Canaanites actually, the cursed people, uh, and they were cursed. The idea of covering sin, the Bible teaches us over and over about that, which I'm so thankful. First John chapter one, verse nine is that classic scripture I share weekly. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love Acts twenty two sixteen. And now why tarriest thou? Arise, be baptized. I love baptism for this reason. And wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. When you get baptized, your sins, past, present, even your future sins. Christ died once for all sin, including the sins you've not even committed yet. When you get baptized as a believer, you're acknowledging that the Lord is able to wash away your sins. Um, I love that. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 17 says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I love this idea of the covering of sin because that's what Jesus does. Even as Joseph is trying to figure out, man, my, my wife-to-be is sort of in an exposed situation and his desire wasn't to expose it even further and make a big deal out of it. His desire was to cover and to make things kind of be pushed down quietly. That was his heart because he cared about her. Um, that's what the Lord's heart for you is. And by the way, if I was talking about you indirectly, not meaning to talk about you, but chances are there's people in here who slept around a lot. Uh, there's people in here who've done a lot of sinful things. And you're like, oh man, I'm so feeling guilty being at church here and you know, all these pristine athe creakers. No, we're all in the same boat here. We're all sinners, we all fall short, but this is the good news. Um, if any man be in Christ or woman be in Christ, he's a new creature, old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. So if you've already messed up, good news, the Lord wants to make old things new. 
Um, that's something the world could never give you. You know, the, one of the lies of Satan is, you've already messed up. Why try to be good now? Just keep walking in sin because you've already done it once. You dieters know how this is. You know, you've been eating <clears throat> kale <clears throat> and, um, and uh, cottage cheese or whatever. Um, and you're doing so good for, you know, for, for three hours. And then, um, <laughs> and then you, you think, oh, I'll just, I'll just have one cheat meal, just a cheat meal. And so you go and have, you know, uh, the uh, double quarter pounder at McDonald's, little cheat meal. And, um, and then you think, okay, it's time to get back. But you know, I've already blown it. I've already messed up and my diet's out the window and I was only on the cottage cheese for like two hours and so, Oh, well, I'm gonna have another double quarter batter. <laughs> Am I alone on this? <laughs> you, guys, you guys are, look, some of you skinny people are like. <clears throat> um, <laughs> I've got some of my brothers out there. They're like, hey, man, brother. Um, it, it's the lie of Satan to say, well, you've already blown it, so you just keep blowing it. Th that happens with all kinds of sin. Um, and it's, it's a struggle that humanity that we all have but when it comes to sexual impurity, man, that's one of the big ones. Well, I'm not a virgin anymore, so I might as well just keep sleeping around. Don't forget, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Don't forget, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, all things become new. And that's something you gotta remember. This is a beautiful part of how Jesus covers our sins and washes them away. And I think Joseph is an example of a Christ-like kind of covering. And that's important. So we see Joseph as a number one, a self-controlled man. Number two, Joseph as a gentle man. I like that. But also number three, we see Joseph as a thoughtful man. And this is sort of a funny term, thoughtful man, because when I think about that, there's not a lot of us out there that do this, thoughtful. Um, I, I, I've noticed there's a difference between men and women. <clears throat> and Debbie will come and say, hey, Brad, what are you thinking about? <clears throat> and I'll say, hmm. Nothing. <laughs> and I've noticed in our many years of marriage that Debbie doesn't believe that I'm just thinking about nothing. But ladies, I'm just gonna help you out here. Um, men have this amazing gift. <laughs> we are able to put our brains in neutral. <laughs> I don't think, a, not, there, some women can do this, but I just think men and women are different. And, and like a lot of women just don't believe. What are you thinking about? Come on, really tell me. I'm like, mm, nothing. <laughs> um, <laughs> And that's one of our gifts, but it's also a curse because we don't spend a lot of time thinking deeply about things all the time. And our heads aren't spinning, spinning, spinning a lot of the times. A lot of times there's not an intelligent thought <laughs> echoing in that chamber. Um, and that just happens. I'm, I'm gonna tell you, there's a difference between men and women. Um, uh, now, what I love about Joseph is he, he takes time to think through what's going on. He's a thoughtful man. Um, and I think that's one of the things, you know, men, because we don't often think through stuff, we can oftentimes be reactionary rather than to respond to situations. My, my mom and dad used to teach me and my sisters this from very early age, Brett, you're either gonna react or you're gonna respond, what are you gonna do? And they used to teach us this. Because reacting is just sort of that knee jerk, you know, well, flying off the handle or being angry or, you know, flipping out or whatever. And Joseph doesn't do that. 
He's very thoughtful. It says that right here in verse 20. But while he thought on these things, the word thought there is, is actually in the Greek text, um, even a, a more deep word than our word thought. The word thought is um, entumeomai in the Greek. Fancy little way of saying that, entumeomai. And it, it means this, resolve, uh, revolve in your mind. In other words, to kind of chew stuff over, ponder, deliberate, careful, intentional consideration. It's not just that he thought briefly about it, it's that he had, he really molded over and meditated on it and thought through it carefully. Um, and, and before he did anything, before he reacted, he was gonna think through it and then he could respond accordingly. And that's what he did. I love that Joseph was a thoughtful man. Um, we need more people to uh, respond rather than react. And it comes in so many different forms. It's not just men, it's, it's women too. Um, you know, uh, I, I used to call it the Kmart mom, but I probably can't do that anymore because there's no more Kmarts. But I remember as a young kid watching the Kmart mom and, and back in the day, and some of you are too young to remember these days, there was a day where in Kmart, you could see the moms, you know, she'd start kind of, the kid would be like throwing things off the shelf. And then she'd say, stop that right now. And the kid would just do it again. Stop that right now. Just do it again. Stop it right now. Now when she says the word now, like meow, I noticed that was danger level. Like you don't get that mom any further because in those days back in the 70s, a mom, you, you'd see this. This was like a common occurrence. You'd see the mom grab the kid by the arm and whack, 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 knock it out right now. And she'd start yelling at her in Kmart. And they did that in public. Can you believe that? She'd go to jail today. <laughs> and that is abusive. It is. It's just abusive. It's bad behavior. But that's what it looked like back in those days. That's why I called it the Kmart mom. I don't know why. I just saw it in Kmart all the time. Maybe it's Walmart now. I just don't shop anymore. I, <laughs> I don't I go online. Um, but, uh, but, uh, but you know, it, it, that's, that's what can happen when you get all riled up and something you, you start to react and that does bad stuff uh, rather than respond. And I love that Joseph is thoughtful. And again, Jesus does this as well. If you could ever think of a time where Jesus seemed to react rather than respond, and we can't say that, can we? Because we know Jesus was perfect, right? And Jesus never sinned. But if you could ever kind of say where, where it looked like Jesus was reacting was maybe when he cleansed the temple. He walks into the temple, the court of the Gentiles, and there um, there's people ripping off the people that were coming into the temple to worship. They were the changers of the money. And Jesus made a whip of small cords and he went out and whoosh, and he started flipping tables over, money was flying, and he said, take these things hence and make not my father's house a house of merchandise. Wow, he kind of flew off at the handle. And I used to think that, well, it was a, we know he was righteous, and so it was a righteous kind of anger. I, I, I figured that out early in my life, but I still had a little hard time, why was he reacting so, like if Jesus was perfect, should it have been more controlled or somehow? I don't know, but then, uh, it wasn't that long ago actually, realized in looking in the harmony of the gospels, and that's one of the things we're gonna do when we go through Matthew and all the gospels, is when you put all the gospels together, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you start to see a, a clearer picture of the whole story, which is kind of fun, it's part of the deal. And what I realized in that story, you can jot this down in your notes, but in Mark chapter 11, we learn something, and you might miss it unless you kind of put the pieces together, but did you know the day before Jesus cleansed the temple and turned the tables, in Mark's gospel, when you do the chronological order of events, it's interesting because Jesus went into the temple, the very same temple, the day before. Jesus went into the temple, went to the court of the Gentiles, was there with the changes of the money sitting there doing the same thing. 
Then he went back down the valley, could run up over the mountain and spent the night at Mary, Martha and Lazarus house over in Bethany. Then the next day he came back over the Mount of Olives down into Jerusalem. And that's the day is when he turned the tables. In other words, Jesus didn't fly off at the handle. He didn't freak out or flip out. He was thoughtful and meditated and calculated. He didn't just do that because he would have done it the day before had he just kind of flipped out. Jesus is, is demonstrating something I think is kind of important that there is such a thing as righteous anger and a deliberate sort of cleansing of the temple. That, that, that's something that's interesting to me in the days that we're living. Uh, when do we do that? That's an interesting question. Well, all that to say, Joseph was a self-controlled man, a gentle man, and a thoughtful man. Um, number three, he was also a spiritual man. Um, a spiritual man. Again, this one doesn't go with men very much. I've, again, I'm just gonna be, since I'm already controversial today, um, I, I'm just gonna say it, men and women are different, and this is one of those areas. I have found that men are not naturally as spiritual as women. I'm just gonna say that. Um, and I, I, um, I hope that men can step up to the occasion because that doesn't come as naturally for us. Um, a spiritual man, some people call that an oxymoron. A spiritual man, um, what's an oxymoron? It's two words that don't, like jumbo shrimp, you know? I used to say Microsoft works, that's an oxymoron. <laughs> um, some of my uh, military personnel here at Athey, they, they say military intelligence uh, <laughs> is, is an oxymoron, who knows? But, um, but, but as it turns out, men and women are different and, um, and, and it has to do with this, this spiritual thing. By the way, um, I, I learned this early in my marriage. Debbie's always the one to remind me of the spiritual side of things. Um, and and it's sometimes, as a man, it's, it's a little bit hard sometimes because I'm, I'm very logical and I like to think through that. Probably one of the biggest illustrations of this was when I was younger, I was a youth you know, pastor and a children's pastor. And, and I remember I was on this trip with our, I have this old beater 1969 international school bus that I used to drive around with all these kids packed in the back. And on these hot summer days, we'd be driving to the water slides or somewhere. But this one summer afternoon, the, the, this bus broke down all the time. It broke down off the side of the road. And so I, I've got this load of kids, there's traffic and it's just kind of stressful. And I, so I jump out of the driver's seat and you know, and Deb's sitting in the seat behind with all the kids back further. And uh, I start, you know, I pop the hood and I'm trying to check, see what's going on. And um, I'm realizing it's probably vapor locked. And uh, we, you know, it was just kind of a tense deal. And, and, and Debbie sticks her head out the little window there and she says, honey, sh- should we pray? <laughs> and, 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 um, and then the kids are all like, yeah, Pastor Brett. <laughs> I'm like, oh, great. So I get back in, I sit in the bus seat and I say, okay, um, Lord, you know, please help this. We anoint this bus with oil. Lord, help this bus to start up and help us to get to our destination. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. And I got up out of the seat, went back up under the hood and, and Debbie stuck her head up. You didn't try to start it. Uh, I was like, oh, here we go. So I went up the stairs, plopped down in the seat and I turned the ignition. I'm not kidding, that bus ran like the wind from that day forward. Um, it's the weirdest thing in the world. Um, and Debbie just sat there, you know, I could almost see the halo uh, as she was sitting there behind me. Um, <laughs> uh, but, 
But uh, I've learned to value that, that, that my wife tends to think more spiritually. I tend to think more logically, like we gotta fix this problem and I'm a fixer and I'm gonna do, but, but bringing in the spiritual part of it is something that I think women do very naturally. Um, now, by the way, how is Joseph a spiritual man? Well, he's got this very logical, practical problem of his wife-to-be is pregnant. That's a very, what are we gonna do? And you almost sense that Joseph's trying to fix it. And he's thinking through, you know, we already covered that. He's thinking through, what am I gonna do? What am I gonna do? Um, but then the Lord shows up and gives him a word. And this is where I see Joseph in his dream. Suddenly, he hears the dream and uh, he actually is receptive to this, this, this dream. I think that's kind of important. Um, by the way, um, when it comes to the spirituality of men and women, there's an interesting thing, and I'm just gonna say this too, because um, since we're uh, saying controversial things today, I'm just gonna keep a roll going here. But um, once in a while, you know, if you're newer here, people say, where are the women pastors at Athey Creek? Where are the women elders? And the answer is very simply, the Bible does not teach that women are to be pastors and elders. And it's, why, is it because women are inferior to men? No. And if you went to George Fox, you were slammed with women should be pastors and all. Like that's the thing in colleges and Christian universities now. And this whole egalitarian movement has just rolled over the church over America. So I'm in the minority. I used to not be, but when people actually read the Bible and believed what the Bible said. Um, but now we've gotten you know, away from what the Bible very clearly literally says. And why is it that women shouldn't be pastors in the church? Uh, the answer is given to us, and you know, it's really clear, First Timothy chapter two, Paul says that it, the reason goes all the way back to the book of Genesis, chapter three. Now you say, Brad, I don't know about that. Well, here's why this is important, because what George Fox will teach your kids, women should be pastors because, well, when Paul talked about that, that was the culture of the day. And that, that was, men were just you know, jerks back then and they didn't let women do anything. And women couldn't even vote in America until recently. And they bring up all these women's rights issues. But actually, Paul, he goes outside of his culture when he gives the biblical anointed by the Holy Spirit reason he goes, it goes back to Genesis chapter three when he said, the woman was deceived in the garden and not the man. Now, what's interesting is the man gets the credit for the sin, if you ever notice that. You rarely hear, well, you know, Eve sinned in the garden. No, it's, it's Adam's sinned. And the Bible always ascribes the sin to Adam and not Eve. That's kind of interesting. But, but the woman was deceived by the serpent. And how did he deceive her? And this is something that's kind of interesting to me. Um, that, you know, the, the servant said, you know, Eve, your eyes will be open. You'll be enlightened, enlightenment, and you'll become like God. And Eve reaches and takes the bite out of the fruit because of that. I know a lot of men and all my buddies that I know, if they were in the garden and then the serpent came and said, hiss, your eyes will be opened and you'll have enlightenment. The guy'd be like, where's Taco Bell? I'm hungry, <laughs> whatever. We're not tempted by enlightenment. That's why, you know, new age, have you ever noticed how new age and spirituality and Oprah and stuff, all the new age kind of stuff that's out there? Not a lot of men following that stuff. It's mostly women. And, and I'm not saying that as a, a knock. In fact, it's actually amazing that women want to go deeper in things spiritually. That's a good thing. That's the way God made, I think, women different than men. So when it comes to leadership in the church, it's an interesting thing that God says, men, you're to lead in the church. Why is that? I have a theory. It's because men are not very spiritual. And God says, guys, I'm gonna give you the job to step it up. 
It's a little bit like this. Um, when, when, when our kids were little and they were just old enough to where we, Debbie and I could go out on a date and Brooke was old enough to be the babysitter and all that, I would always turn to Joey and say, Joey, you're in charge now of keeping things calm and, and nothing broken. You're in charge of that, Joey. Why did I put him in charge? Was he, was he good at being calm and keeping things? We called him Destructo Joe, that was his nickname. Because everything he touched, man, it was just destroyed. Why did I put him in charge? Because I needed him to step up to that. I kind of feel like that's what happened with the church. The Lord said, man, you're in charge. Why? Because we're so deeply spiritual and the first ones to go to prayer and read our Bibles and think about godly things. I think it's the opposite. And God said, there's different roles in the church and here's one of the roles. Now, I gotta say this, there's amazing women at Athey Creek who have very great roles in this church. It's not that women don't have roles in the church, it's just that God says pastors and elders are not to have uh, that as a role for women. There's, There's amazing leadership opportunities here at Athey Creek and we have amazing women in our church that are amazing leaders. It's just they're not gonna be pastors because the Bible's really clear about this one. And so I'm trying to make that defense so that you don't get duped by all these people who are kind of the women's rights people that are kind of you know, riding the momentum from the worldly women's rights kind of thing. And now it's all superimposed in the church and, and uh, it's really kind of sad. And I'm just gonna say, if you can track these churches that have kind of lost their way in the last several years, I, I think there's also a link to where are the men that are supposed to be leading? And a lot of times uh, they're kind of absent. It's really, it's really a sad thing. So it's, it's funny. So the woman in the Garden of Eden, she was tempted by deep spirituality. How was the man tempted in the garden? A naked woman. There she was, a beautiful woman. Just like, hey, you big boy, you want a bite of the apple? It's like, yeah, just give me the apple. It's like that, that's what happened with the man there. Uh, and he gets the credit for bringing sin into the world as it turns out, which is kind of interesting. Adam should have been a covering in that spiritually for his, his wife and for that situation, but he wasn't in the same way. I like that Joseph, which typical guy would say, oh, that was a weird dream, but my wife-to-be is still pregnant and I still have a problem. So forget the stupid dream where it says that the Holy Spirit made her pregnant. But I love I love that Joseph was a spiritual enough man to discern that he was hearing from the Lord about his wife-to-be. By the way, when you have a dream, um, how do you know that it's of the Lord? And the answer is very simply, you need a confirmation from the word. And this angel hand delivers that to Joseph. He says, you know, the, the woman you're married to, or going to marry, she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And then he said, this is that which was spoken of the prophet. Um, there, it says there in verse uh, 23, did you see that? He said, um, behold, you know, uh, uh, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son. They should call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted God with us. Um, we, read, we read that from the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. <clears throat> and, and so this was the confirmation that a guy like Joseph needs. Wow, this is confirming that Mary is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. And I love the spiritual nature of what's going on there. By the way, be careful with dreams because they can sound very spiritual, but they can also be from Satan. Um, I'll just say, um, you know, when Joseph Smith met Moroni and was given the golden, you know, plates and glasses and saw the, you know, the whatever, uh, you know, what's sad about that is he did not have biblical confirmation. In fact, the Bible actually confirms that that was wrong. 
Um, when does it confirm that? Well, Galatians chapter one, verse eight is like one place. Because remember the Mormons came up with a new Testament, a new gospel in addition to the old one. And the Galatians chapter says this several times, but this is just one in chapter one, verse eight. But though we, Paul says, or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Moroni should have been accursed by Joseph Smith. If Joseph knew his Bible, he would have said, yeah, another gospel is not something we're open to here, biblically. But he was open to it and thus the Mormon faith came <clears throat> and uh, went, uh, uh, you know, went astray on some essential doctrines, which is really heartbreaking and sad. Um, but spiritual enlightenment can sometimes be spiritual endarkenment if you're not careful. Uh, if it's another source. Joseph confirmed the angel was speaking something that was confirmed by the word. I love that. So he was a spiritual man. I love that about Joseph. Number five, Joseph was a faithful man. Simply put, it says right there in verse 24, uh, then Joseph being raised up from sleep did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him. I love that he was a doer. He, he didn't just hear what the angel said and then kind of mull it over and get stuck in the paralysis of analysis. And I mean, I wonder if some of you have heard from the Lord about something you're supposed to do, but you've just for whatever reason kind of neglected to actually do it. Um, I, I talked to a guy, I bumped into a guy in Tiger the other day and he was a really nice guy and he looked familiar, but I didn't know his name. And as it turns out, he's one of our parking lot guys. And, and um, I know a lot of our parking lot men and women, and they're amazing people. You have no idea who's parking your cars. There's great, great people out there. Um, but this guy said, uh, he told me a little bit of a story that I, I thought was really cool. He said, you know, I, I felt like the Lord told me to join the parking lot team, but I was kind of like, there are reasons. I was kind of like, I'm not gonna do that, whatever. And I wanna be out there with those guys. You know, it was kind of this, this sort of thing. Um, but eventually he finally, for whatever reason, decided to sign on. And he told me, Brett, first of all, I didn't realize the caliber of people and what, there's such a neat camaraderie out there. And, the, and there, there's like ministry going on out in the parking lot ministry. And, um, and, and, he, and he just talked to me how, how the Lord, it was almost like that was the thing that the Lord was requiring of him to be faithful to do. Because after he joined the parking lot team, then suddenly all the other things in his life started opening up. And it's almost like the Lord wanted him to be faithful in that before the Lord would actually uh, you know, broaden his borders in other areas. And I love that Joseph is the guy that did what the Lord said. That's, that's kind of a James chapter one sort of notion. In verse 22, it says, you know, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. You can almost deceive yourself into thinking I'm doing what I'm supposed to do because I've heard it. But it's not just the hearing, it's the doing. Uh, verse 23 says, for if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man beholding his natural face in a glass or a mirror. For he beholds himself and goes his way and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, that's the word, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. And I believe Joseph was a blessed man because he was one who did. Joseph being raised up from the sleep did as the angel of the Lord said. Uh, being faithful in the small, doing what God's called you will open up the bigger things. Um, we see that Jesus said that red letters in Luke 16, 10. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. 
Um, also, Matthew chapter 25, Jesus said this in verse 21, the Lord said to him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things, and I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Even in heaven and eternity, whether you're gonna be involved with many things, great things, or little tiny things, or fewer things, it has to do with, are you a faithful <clears throat> doer of what God has called you to be today? <clears throat> So Joseph was uh, entrusted with a big deal, um, entrusted with a lot, and he uh, was faithful to do that. Um, number six, and this sort of links to some of our previous points, but I'm gonna say it anyway, Joseph was also a selfless man. A selfless man? After they were officially married, right after she was, you know, they recognized she was pregnant, they quickly did the wedding and they got married. <clears throat> but notice what it says there in verse 25, and he knew her not. Same word in the Greek that I talked about when they didn't uh, you know, consummate their marriage or their espousal period there uh, in verse uh, 18 where it says they, they did not come together. The same deal. Joseph was a selfless man. He knew there was something bigger going on in Mary and so he was married to her, but he did not have romance and sexual relations with her until after Jesus was born. Um, and. Um, and I find that amazing. You know, we live in a culture that sort of is the me culture and it's all about me. And you see this in marital relationships where it's all about my, you know, satisfying of my needs and people are kind of self-centered on this one. But the Bible teaches us that a good marriage and any good relationship always prefers the other person over yourself. Your, her, their needs over your needs is the way the Bible sort of teaches that. So, um, you, know, um, you know, could, uh, could have Joseph slept with his wife after he got married? Technically, yes, but it would have kind of ruined the whole picture and, and maybe even put in question the virgin birth and all that stuff. It was too big a deal for Joseph to, to uh, mess around with. And so his love was kind of a selfless kind of love. I, I love that. First Corinthians 13, five says, love is not self-seeking. Um, and and uh, Romans 12, 10, by the way, says, be ye kindly affection one to another, um, uh, with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. That means to put someone over yourself or ahead of yourself. Um, in marriage, what a key to put someone ahead of yourself by this, Ephesians 4.32. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. And Philippians chapter two, verses three and four, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also in the things of others. To put others ahead. You know, our culture says it's all about you and you know, making sure you're happy. And man, and my body and my life and my, my, my. No, the Bible says we're to think of everyone else ahead of ourselves. That's a biblical thing. The world teaches make sure you have a strong self-esteem. The Bible says, no, you need to esteem others better than yourself. And that's the healthier mindset. Um, now, as I look at this and see you know, what the scriptures say about this. Um, I see how Jesus perfectly modeled um, uh, the, the attitudes we're seeing in Joseph. Joseph is almost like a, a foreshadow and a precursor to who Jesus ultimately would be. I like Philippians 2, 7 and 8, but Jesus made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of man, being found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. All of that about Jesus, we see in those same categories. Was Jesus self-controlled? 
Man, he dealt with the Pharisees, but he was under control. He was self-controlled enough to even willingly go to the cross. Jesus was always gentle. Joseph was gentle. Jesus was gentle. And especially, by the way, with women. I love Jesus always treated women different than the culture did in those days. Remember the woman at the well or the woman, like I mentioned earlier, the woman was caught in adultery and they were gonna stone her to death. I love how Jesus always treated women with great honor. That's something you always see in Jesus. Um, also, Jesus, was he spiritual, <laughs> to say the least? Was he thoughtful? Um, man, Jesus, you see him meditating, praying and seeking the Father before he did anything. Uh, we see the thoughtful and faithful. Uh, Jesus you know, endured the cross, face like flint, and went to the cross faithfully. And was Jesus selfless? Yeah, this is where we see this. He made himself of no reputation. There's a link between Joseph and Jesus, not just that Joseph was his stepfather, but Joseph's sort of behavior is, is really very Christ-like. And that's one of the things I hope to gain with you and me going through the Gospel of Matthew is just to know more about Jesus, his character, his nature, and for us to ultimately be just like Jesus. Um, I believe we need that today. The Christian church, because of all our so-called liberty in Christ, I think we've oftentimes stepped further away from Christ-like attitudes and Christ-like actions. Um, like the issues that I've talked about, whether it's sex before marriage or women's role in the church or whatever, the church of Jesus Christ, we've gotten so liberal in our theology that we've kind of, we've kind of blown off things the Bible's made a real clear point of. And I think it'd be good for us to, to take an honest look at the Bible and say, let's get back to the book. Let's get back to the Bible and let's get back to Jesus, his behavior, his actions. Forget the world. That's not working out for anyone. But if we follow Christ, we're gonna find ourselves blessed. One more scripture and then we'll call it a day. Romans 13, verses 11 through 14. It says that knowing the time, that now is high time to awake out of sleep. Did any of you guys get the sense that we're living in the last days? Man, I sure feel that. As I watch what's going on in the world and see what's going on and what the Bible says, it says knowing that it's high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. And the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not rioting and drunkenness, chambering and wantonness, not in strife or envy, but, and I love this phrase here, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Joseph could have made provision for his flesh and his lusts, but he was Christ-like in the sense that he put down the flesh. And he, and he was, before Jesus even came, he was very, very Christ-like. I love that about Joseph. And that's what you and I are called to do. And that's what our prayer is, that when we read through the Gospel of Matthew, that we would be better at putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever been accused of being a put-on or fake? Or when the world says Christians are a bunch of hypocrites and it's because they, they sense that they're sinners. And I always kind of laugh and think, yeah, of course we're all sinners. And most of us that I know are not claiming anything else. We are sinners. We fall short, we're, we're just like you. But the difference is we're trying to put on Jesus, which is very different. You don't wanna see the real me. If you saw the real me, you'd fire me as a pastor. It's good that I'm putting on Jesus because I might say stuff that I'd regret. I still do that once in a while, but. <laughs> But man, I try to push all that down. Why? Because I'm putting on Jesus. Now, the good news for you and me is it is kind of fake. For you to act like Jesus, that's total fake. You're a total poser. Put ye on, you're a put on. But 
Good news, the longer you put on Christ, put off your works of darkness, put off your sinful stuff, like it says here in this verse, um, put ye on the Lord Jesus. As you do that, it starts to become more and more natural and it becomes, you become more like Jesus as time goes by. That's what we need in the church of Jesus Christ today, to become more like Christ. People say, well, Jesus wouldn't have said this or Jesus wouldn't have done that. And I've noticed most people that have never even read the Bible are saying what Jesus would or wouldn't do. As it turns out, we're gonna really read about Jesus. And I think you'll be shocked at some of the things Jesus did and some of the things he didn't do. May the Lord give us ears to hear what the scriptures actually say. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Lord, we see Joseph here as, uh, what a great uh, example of um, so many attributes that so many of us need, Lord. I pray that you'd make us to be people that have great self-control. That we wouldn't just cave into sin because the world condones it but I pray that we'd submit to your word because Lord, your heart, your mind is for us to do well. I pray that we'd find ourselves being more and more selfless, that Lord, we'd, we'd just submit to you and submit to your word. I pray, Father, that we'd be gentle, even as Joseph didn't just react, but he responded carefully and, and even thoughtfully in this situation. Give us wisdom, Lord, I pray. Uh, forgive us where we've just blown off your word and become more like the world. I pray as we go through the gospel of Matthew that you just build within us more and more of your son, Jesus. Help us with this, Lord. And bless your congregation today as we go our way in Jesus' name, amen.